0: Welcome to another edition of the Saxo Market Pod- Market Call podcast, sorry about that. My name is Soren Otto, I have a little bit of a sore throat today, I don't hope that will uh, harm too many of you listeners out there, uh, but something that will definitely brighten up your day is the guest that I have today, which is Peter Gonnery, our Head of Equity Strategy. Hi Peter. Hi Soren. good to be here. And I also think that uh, the topic of today is uh, one of uh, many's great interest because it is the earnings season that we're in the midst of and which is definitely picking up pace uh, next week. We're both going to be talking a little bit generally about earning seasons today, uh, what you should pay attention to. We're also going to look at some of the earning reports that's already been out and then we're going to look ahead to a big, big tech week uh, in next week. Uh, but Peter, let's just start off from the very beginning. Could you explain a
1: little bit about what is earning seasons actually? Well, it's the most joyful period uh, for anyone interested in equities because it's the period um, where all the companies, the ones you have invested in or otherwise companies you find interesting are reporting their results, which is the key determinant of the future direction of share prices. So and the US earning season is the most watched one. There, they all companies report on a quarterly basis, so you have that four times a year. So it's almost like a, a gift four times uh, during the year. It's fantastic. And in the U. in Europe, sorry, most companies report quarterly basis on a quarterly basis, but some companies report on a semi annual basis. It's mostly for Spanish companies and a lot of UK companies.
0: So really, it's uh, we often talk about it as sort of a, a protected title that it's this hard period, but really it isn't because companies are reporting all the time. It's just the point in time where most companies are reporting right
1: yeah so there there is the uh, there's the calendar year and m- the large majority of companies have a fiscal year that overlaps one to one with the calendar year but there are companies like nvidia just to take an example that that doesn't follow the uh, the calendar year their fiscal quarters are all over the place and the same goes for apple um, and it's actually been something that has been growing in size over the years. So companies actually choose to have a fiscal year that is not overlapping with the, the calendar year. So we're getting more earnings releases constantly throughout time, but there is a peak period, and that is the classic earnings season, which always starts with U.S. financials reporting two weeks after the, uh, you know, the calendar quarter ended. So you know this time around, it was uh, in mid of January, two weeks after we had the closing of the fourth quarter.
0: And then it keeps going for I would say I guess like four to six weeks something. Yeah, like. six weeks. Because yeah, six the weeks.
1: European companies are they lazy or what? What is it? <laughs> but they always uh, they always late. Um, the American companies are extremely fast at consolidating their financial statements and, and get it out
0: good job America. Uh but obviously it's also a time where you need to uh you need to process a lot of companies. Obviously that that's basically your job, but that, it would be the same for investors and traders out there that want to see if there's anything interesting coming up uh, during these uh, earning seasons. Uh and obviously earning reports are quite big, so so could you let people in on what what
1: should they pay attention to because they can't really read the entire thing all the time. No, I mean to put it very simple, the you know there are only two metrics that really matters for most companies and, and so for investors, of course. And that is the revenue growth rate and it's the operating margin. So basically, how much money does a company make of one dollar of revenue? Those are the two most simple metrics that that everyone should be caring uh, care about. I don't pay too much attention to the earnings per share. It's very much an uh, an American phenomenon to focus intensively of this earnings per share. Um, but with all the different accounting, um, it's the wrong word to say shenanigans. But there are a lot of tools in the toolbox for a company to uh, manage your earnings per share, and it, the its accounting earnings, and um, you know, real hardcore investors and everyone should be looking much more at, at cash flow statements and the operating the operating margins. So that's what I pay attention to. And then the final thing is, everything is about the results relative to what is priced into the share price. And that's why we just had an example with Tesla this uh, this week. You know, great great results. If you don't think about the share price, so the share price and the company's results can be two different things. It's almost like a parallel world sometimes. They they and so you you, you arguably you're doing well, but because expectations are very high, you're being punished for your results. It can be weird for newcomers to the equity market. Yeah, because one of the things you pay attention to is is
0: how, how analysts or financial uh, uh, analysts they expect. The, the reports to come out, and really then you benchmark against that instead of just saying, okay, Tesla earned this amount of money, but actually they earned this amount relative to what the analysts expected, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: but And then there's an extra layer of confusion because sometimes equity analysts are actually too conservative on their estimates. So you could have an example where a company reports their result. It's better than the consensus forecast by analysts, but the sh- there has been a, a huge run-up in the share price Reflecting that the market actually had even higher expectations than the analyst, and then when the results come out better than the analyst, it, the, the share price drop, and that's even more confusing for some people. So there, there, there are some complexities sometimes around these earnings season that you uh, you can only fully grasp as you have lived through enough of those. And uh, I
0: definitely haven't. I'm I'm a relative rookie uh, within this field, and something that I feel like I hear a lot about when we talk about earnings season is is sort of. That you compare companies within sectors to each other uh you have these 11 gig sectors i think they're called yeah um and then the other thing is price earnings that that would be sort of is that the same as earnings per share or or what's price earnings
1: well the price earning is basically just the share price divided by that earnings per share metric um again and maybe we should do a podcast on this at at one point i mean I, i think that sometimes it's not appreciated how much knowledge has changed around how you actually value an, a, a company and, and what metrics are you looking at. And I would go as far as saying actually the PE ratio is is a relic and the earnings per share is a relic. And sometimes I feel like it's my mission to try to educate people that there, there are other things that, are, that actually filter out the noise, so to speak. So, um, and, and we shouldn't discuss it on this podcast, but there's a lot of assumptions uh, behind comparing two companies with a PE ratio. It is not as simple as that but you can use it as a as an approximate yardstick. but it's not the it's not the whole truth
0: let's uh let's stick a pin on that then uh, yeah. because i need to prepare if i have to <laughs> just ask relatively intelligent questions about that but sure. uh, i think it's a good topic for a later podcast definitely uh let's then uh, move to to the current uh earnings season that we're in right now What's your expectations to to to, to this uh,
1: season? well I think the uh, the earnings season will prove to confirm what we have seen in and now this, this is a little bit nerdy but there is a very excellent weekly economic time series that, that is produced by the regional Federal Reserve from uh, in Dallas in in which is a region in the Federal Reserve region in the. US. And it's called a weekly economic index. And that has actually been showing that the US economy has been accelerating in terms of economic growth over the past four months. And what we have seen so far and what I th- expect will be a continuation of that is that actually companies will generally exceed the uh, the expectation and come out with, you know, they will of course say the, uh, the typical yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of uncertainty, geopolitics. But at the end of the day, the outlook is actually okay. And it's in- improving for a lot of sectors and, and companies. So I, I think that is going to be the, the trend. And if you look at the overall year expectation, the market is looking for earnings to grow roughly around 8% in the US, actually it's declining a little bit in Europe. So the bar is very low for Europe. And I would even argue that the bar is still low for US. I mean, 8% earnings growth is the historical average over multiple decades. I, and I think the S&P 500 will, will not have a problem um, beating that estimate.
0: One of the things we've also discussed previously, and and which is a general thing for twenty twenty four, is this question about whether we get a recession or not, or whether we have a soft landing. Is there anything related to this earnings season that indicate uh, whether we're on one or, or the other trajectory in that sense?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean we we've gone back to new all time highs in the uh, in the U S equity market, and uh, you know the equity market lo- is looking great in Japan. Um, could be better in Europe, but it's not bad. There is very little historical uh, precedence from uh, f- that we have these high equity markets and then we slip into a recession suddenly, like you know, we falling out of the out of the sky. It's, that's typically not how recession uh, evolves unless it's a pandemic that suddenly comes about. Um, so I would say with the the indicators I'm looking at, uh, the consumer is in much better shape. Um, things are improving. Uh, China is still a joker, and. I think it's only a matter of time before things will turn around in Europe. And um, I had a conversation today with a, with a colleague. So the reason why the ECB is a little bit reluctant about just saying, yeah, let's just cut rates a lot this year because inflation is down to 2%. The problem is, if you look at the wage data in Europe, but also in the US, it's hovering around five and a half, five and a half, six percent 6% on an annualized basis right now. And inflation rate, both in the US and Europe, are getting closer to this 2%. So you have this wedge that has been created a positive real wage increase and I think that combined with the fact that, if, that, if, that we that we are not living into a recession it will create a feedback loop reinforce confidence among the consumer and get the economy going and because a lot of things are still tight I think that it, we will what we'll uh, talk about later this year is actually that inflation is more sticking than we had feared hoped for I don't know how, how yeah. we should <laughs> Ankle angle that, but it, that inflation will not be um, be as mild as uh, as is expected.
0: So, so basically, what you're saying is that there's a there's a discrepancy in between wage growth, which is at five percent, and then inflation that's lower. So, really, every consumer out there gets more money to spend, and that should, in theory, help uh, general growth in in the markets.
1: Exactly, and and, uh, and energy prices are down a lot in the US. And actually also not as much in europe as in the us but it's down across the board and energy is just uh it's um it's a um, it's a market tax on uh on the consumer and so when it, when energy prices are going down we're paying less for that and we can it free up some disposable income for other uh great things you want to do in your life and obviously that's also something that's very impacted uh, of the about the geopolitical
0: uh tensions that are going on around the world but let's stick with the earnings season now where we're wearing off a, a fair bit uh, let's have a look at some of the some of the reports that come out this week yeah uh, one of the earlier ones was was Netflix which seems to me to always be a, a very uh, very much in focus uh, at least been for the last few years yeah. um, this time around I guess it was quite a positive report that came out with
1: very much so, and and it's 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 a uh, it's a darling among the retail investors. We see that in our own uh, client data at Saxo as well. It's uh, is really one of the top holdings. Um, back in the days, so when I say back in the days, just five eight years ago, Netflix was clearly part of the technology cluster when you looked at how markets reacted to it. So it was, and the reason why it was very well watched was because it was the first technology earnings and always set the stage and sentiment for the rest of the. Of the of this technology sector, but uh, I mean, I would argue that Netflix over time is like it's at the periphery of what I define as the technology sector. It's 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 a video streaming service. It's a media and entertainment company. That's also why it's placed in the what's called the communication services sector, uh, together with Meta and and Google. Um, so and it was a very strong result, and we previewed that on Monday in our uh, in our equity note. So what is happening for Netflix? Is that They so go back. A little bit more than a year, the stock price was just in a, you know, was in the dustbin, right? It was it had fallen a lot. There was a lot of negativity around it. They were spending too much on their uh, their content. You know, subscriber growth has has grinded to a halt. You know, everything was just bad. Then they came out saying, okay, we're gonna do a couple of things. So first of all, the the whole um, user sharing will clamp down on that. We know it's a big problem. Two, we're going to expand heavily our advertising business because in the emerging markets, you need a lower price point that we can offer sometimes for the paying subscription. But if we allow you to stream for free and be annoyed a little bit by commercials, we can offer you this great service. So that's what they did. And, um, and then what, what we saw in this result was that they're just firing on all cylinders. So they, they having, they've they got the mojo back on content creation, a lot of new subscribers. I think they got more than 13 million in the in the quarter versus uh, almost nine million expected. So that was a huge beat, and the advertising business is just growing uh, quite nicely as well. So they it's just um, it's just a phenomenal result. The share price is up a lot, and I think it's really a, it's a great success story uh, for Netflix.
0: Two of the other very important, uh, very important, and very popular stocks, uh, at least among our client base, is uh, Tesla and ASML. And they also came out with uh, with uh, their earnings reports this week. What what would, was their
1: result like? Yeah, so if we start with the uh, the spectacle uh, at the end, which is Tesla, then that means we start with ASML. <coughs> and ASML is, well, I have called it the crown jewel of the European technology sector. So for those that don't know what ASML is, ASML is the world's leading uh, lithography machine so people are saying, what is lithography? Okay, so it's basically a machine that shoots light and it has turned out to be ultraviolet uh, beams into these wafers of silicon where the electrons in the microchips can can travel. And we're, we're talking about two and three nanometer chips for the AI boom. And um, ASML, for, the, for, for creating two and three nanometer chips, you need something called extreme ultraviolet lithography machines and ASML has 100% market share in that business. They're the only company in the entire world that can create these machines. And um, and that means that it's 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 a near monopoly. And they of course have other machines where they compete with other companies in, you know, 5, 7 and 9 nanometers for ordinary chips that goes into cars, uh, laptops, etc. Hugely profitable. There has been um there have been there have been some some slowdown in semiconductor growth because of the inflation, people stopped consuming consumer electronics. So there was a huge decline in memory chips, other types of chips. And now they reported a huge increase in bookings, um, actually three times as much as the market had expected. And the CEO was out saying, you cannot have a boom in AI without our machines. And he said 2024 is going to be this transition year. You know, revenue will be probably flat, but 2025 is going to be a blockbuster year. A very significant year for the industry as a whole and especially for ASML. So investors were, investors were extremely excited and um, the share price were, reacted very positively to the results. And I think ASML is one of those companies that if you want to have exposure to the generative AI industry and, and let's say you don't want to have uh, place too much a bet on NVIDIA, ASML is one of those you could consider because it's it just at a different place in the value chain.
0: Yeah, so definitely, and and as I said, it's one of it's a very uh, popular stock here in in Europe, and has uh, also over the past one and, and 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 several years been one of the most best performing stocks. So, so definitely an interesting company within a, a, a very interesting industry. Um, another booming market is uh, electrical vehicles, and obviously that is spearheaded by by Elon Musk and Tesla. Uh, they also reported uh, on Wednesday. What was their result like?
1: Well, they're. Um they, they disappointed. Um, their revenue came in for the, the fourth quarter a little bit below the estimates. Um, they missed on the, uh, the growth margin. It came in and came out at uh, 17.5% versus 18.1% expected. So that's a story that has been with this industry for the past year, that prices are coming down. Tesla has been aggressively cutting prices. The initial reaction by those that are having the most positive view on Tesla was that this is coming out of strength, and I think the, that narrative the market bought in the beginning, but I think as time has evolved over the past year, I think it has become clear that it's, uh, it's not coming out of strength. It's coming out of a necessity because of very successful Chinese EV manufacturing really pressuring the market, and especially BYD, Build Your Dreams. Uh, that's the acronym. And BYD actually took over Tesla in the fourth quarter in terms of being the most selling uh, EV brand of battery fueled uh battery uh, uh, electric vehicles so um so there's a there's a new reality to Tesla and and then and Elon Musk spent a lot of time trying to now we're coming back to to the margins and the revenue growth because it is so that if you are under pressure on your operating margin then the only way to keep a prop up your share price is by painting or sending a signal on your outlook that revenue growth at least will expand from here that's that's your main two levers as a, as a company and so so and he's not stupid so as he recognized that they are under pressure on the margins he did everything he could to paint a growth picture he said we're between between two growth waves or between between two mountaintops as i, as I say and we are in the valley right now but growth will come back um, and investors were, were not really buying that. So um, at this point of time, as we are recording this, I think the share price of Tesla is down almost ten percent in in German trading. They have some shares listed in the, on German exchanges, so that's a pretty big uh, hit to uh, to to Tesla and 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 Elon Musk. And then a final comment: He is aggressively trying to convince the board of directors which by the way are uh, a group of people that he has elected uh, I think more or less so they are just uh, just men and women to him and he wants to convince them and the shareholders that they should opt for a dual class stock structure where, where he will get a lot of uh, shares with a much higher voting uh, much more voting rights so he can control 25 percent of the company and if he's not getting that he said, I'll leave and do something about AI and robotics outside Tesla. Basically, a threat almost. So
0: when you say dual class, that's when you sometimes you see that some companies have an A and a B share. That that's basically what you mean, by yeah, that, exactly. right Where you have voting rights on one and not on the other, or something like that. Or it's more, typically more it's right.
1: typically the ordinary share that you and I would buy. CERN has one uh, voting right uh, f- for each share, and then the the other class would have like ten votes per share. So it's a way, and it's it was really. I call it. We're used to this in Europe, by the way. Just a little bit of. I know we're going a little bit, maybe a little bit over time here, but we're used to this dual class in Europe. In US, it's a new phenomenon that came with Silicon Valley. It was actually Google and the Silicon Valley companies where they said, "Oh, these founders—they are so unique. We want to keep them as the controlling guys because these are the ones that are driving innovation." So we invent this dual uh, dual class stock structure, and and that evolved so now it's just becoming the norm that all technology stocks or companies in the US they have this dual structure
0: I want to stay a little bit with what you said about Elon Musk trying to paint a growth picture yeah. uh, to the outside world uh, in, in the beginning we discussed this idea that, that that the success of an earnings report isn't really relative to, to the actual the absolute numbers in it it's more relative to to analyst expectations. Isn't it well, knowing that? Isn't it dangerous trying to paint a growth picture that isn't necessarily there? Isn't that just setting you up to disappoint the analysts at a later point in time?
1: Uh, that would be the classic interpretation, but I think there is no, there is no uh, classic interpretation when it comes to Elon Musk because he has gotten a, he's got away with a lot of overpromising both on self driving technology, you know. Um, production time schedules for different models, etc. Um, it has been a winning formula for him, and that's also why it's very clear when you look at the Tesla, the Tesla equity valuation that there is a huge Musk premium. And I think I wrote an equity note which you can find in, in on our trading platform. Um, you can also find it on uh, home. dot on under inspiration. Um, one of the key risks. It's definitely going to be this fight over how much voting rights he's going to end up with i think it potentially is a very negative catalyst for the for the share price of tesla um but but also these um but also the overall the overall um yeah growth i'm actually losing my track here because i you know i had a thought and then i lost it so anyway let's just uh
0: let's uh, save that for another Yeah, uh, let's do that it's not the last bucket. time we will talk about tesla that's for sure definitely not then let's move on to something that is uh, you're you're obviously a quite experienced uh, equity analyst Peter. Uh, now we're kind of in the middle of, of of the earnings season. We've had a few big companies report, two of them good, Netflix and uh, ASML, Tesla maybe not as impressive. What's your overall vibe right now? Is are you disappointed or are we on a good track to to a positive earnings season?
1: No, I think actually the earnings season so far is looking uh, looking good. Um you can say that the way the, the market has evolved over the years is that in the U.S. you have three sectors that are, you know, more than 50% of the, of the total market value. So, you know, that's why next week is so important because next week we'll have all the major technology earnings and and, and healthcare earnings and those earnings will basically determine whether this is a good or bad earnings season and... Um, I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a good earnings season, and I'm. I'm so far uh, seeing uh, seeing some good uh, some some good results.
0: And then let's let's just look a little bit ahead to next week because we've mentioned a few times that that is the big week. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? What what is it that's going to happen next week?
1: Uh, yeah, well, it's when the week after um, uh, after this week. We, so we will have all the we'll have large technology earnings from. Uh, from, uh, from Meta, from from Alphabet, etc., and and I think you know those two companies. Why do I mention those? Well, the advertising industry is a, a pro cyclical industry, meaning that when things are good and confidence is high, companies tend to spend more money on advertising. So when when things are good for Alphabet and Meta, it sends a signal, I think, to both investors, but also signals on the economy that things are things are improving. But it's a, it's just um. I can't even wrap my head around how many earnings it is. I mean it's almost impossible to to name them all. I think also Apple is reporting next week, so it's it's just it's just going to be a, a big big week.
0: And just to, just to time out around it, you say this with advertising because that's such a big part of the revenue for for Meta and Alphabet, right?
1: It, it's it's all of the business almost. Google is trying to become this cloud business, but it's still it's still much very much an advertising business or selling selling the right to show your ads on their platforms. I should say. What a great ride! Um, let let let's let's open it up a little bit.
0: So, obviously, earning seasons are a very interesting uh, point for uh, or time in of the year for equity analysts like you. But if you're sitting out there as an active investor, you want to figure out how to to uh, to go about this. Obviously, we won't recommend you to buy this or that stock. How but how would you get started as an investor buying into this earning season?
1: Um, well, the 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 first starting point is that if you're already if you're already invested in the market, then the first beginning is actually just to in to to be interested in the earnings results of the companies you're already owning shares in. So that that would be a starter, right? And um, um, and the, and then the second thing is that go. I mean, m- most investors will have an, uh you know a portfolio, but they will also have what you could call a bench or a watch list of companies you're interested in. And I think, I think that's a that's a good clue for uh, for uh, for uh, for engaging with the earnings season. A different different approach as well is that some companies will have had a terrible uh, development in their share price, and and those companies are often interesting to follow during an earnings season because it's often around an earnings season where they announce a the cost cutting exercise or something like that that can really become a catalyst for a positive development. So I'll give you a recent example in this earnings season. So Citigroup came in as a, a weak, uh, as a weak bank in terms of its share price performance relative to JP Morgan and some of the other banks. And Citigroup went out in their earnings statement saying, okay, we're going to completely revamp the entire business of Citigroup. We're going to slash 20,000 jobs globally. I'm mean, going to do do these X, Y, and C things to improve profitability of the bank, and the market just, you know, celebrated it a lot, and uh, it became a sustained catalyst for uh, for a positive share price development post that earnings release. So that's an example of where, if you have these stocks uh, that have been doing terribly, that uh, that could be that could be something in in there. Looking at the the earnings release, if they come out with with such an announcement like CD Group did. Peter, I know
0: you you like to read a lot. Sometimes,
1: when I have time for it.
0: (laughs) So I guess I'm guessing not next week, apart from earnings reports. But if there are any uh, investors or traders out there that think this sounds really interesting and I want to learn a little bit more before I dive into this earnings season, is there anything you would suggest people to dig deeper into, have a look at? You you talked about earnings growth, for instance. What, what, What would be your suggestion there?
1: Um, I don't think I recall that there ever been a book on the earnings season itself. It's it's very much I think um, it's um, it's um, you can approach the earnings season from many from many different angles, and it's in kind of a little bit of like game. But as I said, I think the, the starting point for any investor is. And I did a podcast at one point, and I've also have been writing an article uh, on that for our clients. That the, there's this guy, Michael Mabosen from the US, has written this book called Expectation Investing. And I think it's a very great short book, 200 pages. It's not very technical, actually, um, to get your head around how, how do you actually value uh, value companies. And, um, you know, if you do that, um, then I think if you read that book, you'll have a different, some, a different lens. And then I think you'll be looking at the earnings season from a completely different way than if you just read the ordinary stuff out there available on the on the internet
0: if you had to read that ordinary stuff then go and read Peter's because it <laughs> is really good and uh, interesting stuff uh, Peter I think we've we've talked a lot about during season now and and clearly with next week coming up it's not going to be the last time we're going to touch on it absolutely not uh, but for now is there anything that I forgot to ask you about that you really wanted to to hammer down
1: no no
0: not at all perfect but then um I guess there's not much more to say than uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Thank you, Peter, for making us all wiser. Uh, On behalf of Saxo and the Saxo Market Call, my name is Zoranato. Safe trading.